Thank you, Brother Schaefer. Appreciate those kind words. I'm not sure that I can live up to all that, but we'll do our best. Turn with me, if you would, two passages of Scripture. First, Paul's letter to Ephesians chapter 5. Paul's letter to the Ephesians chapter 5. And then, once you've got, uh, found your place there, turn also with me to John's letter to the Ephesians. Now, some of you don't know where that is. Revelations chapter 2, Revelations chapter 2, Jesus gives a command for John to write a letter to the church at Ephesus there, and we want to read two portions at least, portions of two letters written to the church at Ephesus, and we're trusting that the Lord will help us to mind him. Been appreciate appreciated that good song this evening. I, I thought maybe I was going to get out of preaching. No such luck. Appreciate all the people coming. They're gluttons for punishment, but I'm thankful they're here. Ephesians chapter 5. Invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. We'll begin reading in verse 31. I'd really like to re- start at verse 21, but time won't allow me to read all that I'd like to read tonight. Ephesians chapter 5 and beginning in verse 31. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself that the wife see that she reverence her husband. Now turn with me, if you would, to Revelations chapter 2, and we'll begin reading in verse 1. Again, letter to the Ephesians. This time, John's penning these words, but you'll notice they're in red. Jesus is speaking. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus, write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, Because thou hast left thy first love. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works. Or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place. Except thou repent. But this thou hast that thou hast the deed or hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Which I also hate. He that hath an ear let him hear what the spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. By the help of the Lord, I'd like to speak to us about when the honeymoon ends. When the honeymoon ends. Father, we thank you so much for the presence of God that we have sensed tonight. We're thankful that you're still Lord and that you're still the captain of this ship. We're thankful, Lord, that in the midst of storms and battles, that you've never once uh, failed to lead us through, that you've led us safely, and we thank you for it. 
one more time. We stand behind the sacred desk. We think about the great men and women who have stood where I stand now, those that have thundered your truth. And, and yet, Lord, it, tonight it's, it's my turn to be here. And, and as small and as insignificant as I am, I'm asking that you'd hide me behind the cross and that you would be glorified and honored by what is spoken here tonight for your glory and for your honor. We ask these things in your precious, perfect name. Amen. You may be seated. Do you remember... When your honeymoon ended, I remember well when ours did. We'd been married a couple of months. Now, I'm not talking, of course, by, about the trip and, and all that, but I'm talking about, you know, when real life kicked in. We'd been married a couple of months, and I remember it was a Friday night. I'd gotten off from work, and, and uh, I'd gotten off actually a little early and, and that made my way home. And, and I'm not going to go into the details of it, but I'll just let you know that, that things were not all paradise and the Morford house. And we had a disagreement, and, and uh, I don't remember what was said, but, but I remember that night as I was laying there in, in the bed, and, and uh, it was dark, and I was tired from long days at work, and and, of course, frustrated by the situation and the, the disagreement, I remember this thought came into my mind. You've married the wrong one. Well, that's encouraging, isn't it? I mean, we've been married three whole whopping months by that point, if that. And, I mean, I have, I have come to the conclusion that I have just signed up for a life sentence to the wrong one. That's not a good feeling. I finally made my, I finally somehow got to sleep, and in the, in the morning, we began to talk, and you know what I realized is it wasn't that I married the wrong one, it was that we had some growing up to do. We had some things that we needed to talk about. There were some expectations that I had that were a little unreasonable. Not much, just a little. And she had expectations that were very unreasonable. There was no way that I could live up to those expectations. But we begin to talk it over and we begin to hash it out and, and we begin to communicate. And, and you know, we even had to say some I'm sorry's. But I realized. In that moment, that love was going to require hard work. It's going to require hard work. And I see some of the older saints of God shaking their heads, yes. You know what I'm talking about. There's been some hard work. There's been some tough places. There have been some I'm sorry's. There's been some times that, that you've had to realign and your expectations. The honeymoon was over and it was time to get to work at this thing called marriage. You know, that's, a, that's an important place for every young person, every young couple to get to, is that realization that it's time to get to work on this thing called love. 
It's an important place to get. And I'm afraid that in our culture and with the music and, and with the, the television and the movie stories that are, are flooding our young people's minds, is they're not understanding that. They're getting to that place where we got to, where you realize, oh, no, this, this, it, we can't live on love. We're going to have to live on hard work. And they're not realizing it, and they're, they're discarding their marriages too quickly. Too quickly. It's hard work to stay married. You've got you to gotta keep at it if you're going to stay in love. Someone said, you don't fall into love, you fall into ditches. There's times I'm not sure which I fell into. But I know that I've gotten to the place in my relationship that when things aren't working, I know it's time for me to get to work, to roll up the sleeves, say, you know what, honey, we've got some work to do. We've got to get this marriage figured out because we're in it for the long haul. There's no expiration date on our wedding, our marriage certificate, on our license. They didn't put a, an expires by date on it. And we said, I do. We said, I do for as long as we both shall live. Paul, writing to the Ephesians, talks about the marriage, talks about the husband's duty to love his wife, the wife's responsibility to, to reverence and submit to her husband and, and relax, I'm not preaching on that tonight. Already some of you are staring daggers at me. But this is what he says. He says that, that in quoting Genesis chapter 2, he's quoting it. He says that a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. But then he says this, and this is what's so amazing and so, so important to what God wants to share with us this evening. He says, this is a mystery. I speak of Christ and his church. Fast forward, if you would, about 30 years. John is penning these words from the Isle of Patmos. He's been marooned there. He's been left there. Exiled to this lonely island. But praise God, he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. I want you to know that wherever you are, no matter wherever this world may put you, you can be in the spirit. And John was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And he began to pen these words. Jesus began to reveal himself. And he says, now, John, I want you to write a letter to the angel or the pastor at Ephesus. Mind you, this is 30 years later. He says, I want to tell you something, church at Ephesus. You're a good church. You are a church that has stood by the stuff. 
You stood by the truth when other people were, were rejecting the truth. You stood by the truth. You, when the Nicolaitans and, 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 and their false doctrine they started coming around, you called them out on it and you said, that's wrong. You stood for what's right. You've been patient. When false apostles came around and started preaching a false gospel, you stood up and said, I hate that. God, God hates that false gospel. You stood by the truth when other people were caving. And I believe with all of my heart, I am preaching to a congregation of people that have stood by the truth when others have caved on it. When others have rejected the truth, when others have sought for an easier way, when others have rejected holiness and, and the message of, of living pure and walking carefully, we've stood by the stuff. We've stood by the truth. Well, I thought I'd get more amens on that. I hope you stood by the truth. I hope we've stood by what's right. I hope that we've tried the false prophets out and found that they were false and said, you know what, we're not going that way. I don't want to go another way. I might be a young preacher. I might be new to this uh, uh, area. But I want to tell you something. I have settled it in my heart. There's no other way for me to go. You can go whichever way you want to go, but I have found this is the best way ever. Amen. And this is the promise. It's going to take me home. Well, that's worth shouting about on a Tuesday night, isn't it? Praise God. Church at Ephesus is the kind that Brother, Brother Schaefer would would. You know, put up as a spotlight. Say, you ought to be like the church of Ephesus. I mean, they're patient, and they stand for what's right, and they're doing good. I mean, this is the kind of church we all hope to be. This is the kind of church we all are. But then Jesus says something that we all hope isn't true for us. He says, you've... You've fallen out of love with Jesus. You dress holiness. You talk holiness. You live holiness. You preach holiness. You teach in your Sunday schools about it. You've got all of, of the T's crossed. You've got all the I's dotted. You've got every comma where it goes. But you've fallen out of love with Jesus. You know, I think it'd be easy for us to, to stay, stay right here and say, Preacher, that's not me. That's not me. That, that, this sermon's not for me. I hope it isn't. But here's the danger. Here's the danger for holiness people. It's easy for us to hide behind our mask. It's easy for us to hide behind our standards. It's easy for us to hide behind our, our, our godly living. 
and our do's and our don'ts and our disciplines and, and the what's right and what's wrong. And folks, I'm, I'm not taking away from any of that tonight. I'm not, not trying to say we ought to do away with that. That's not at all what I'm trying to say. But what I'm saying is this. When it covers up a lack of true love, When it covers up a lack of fire for God, it becomes a hindrance. It becomes a hindrance. You know how you can tell that someone is falling out of love? One of the first ways that you can tell is you don't like to spend time with each other. As much as you used to. You know, when we were, my wife and I were dating, I did not have anyone to tell me, you know, you ought to take your uh, or girlfriend at the time, you ought to take your girlfriend on a date. Nobody had to encourage me to do that. I mean, I, I tell you what, when it was, we were at Bible college and they, they, would you believe they limited how much time we could spend together? I don't believe it. I mean, they said we could, we could have a four-hour date on Saturday. And do you know I took all four hours? There was none of this three-and-a-half-hour stuff. No three hours and 45 minutes. There was no three hours, 59 minutes, 59 seconds stuff. If you really want to know, it was probably four hours and about 11 seconds. Or whatever I thought I could get away with. Nobody had to tell me, you know, you, you ought to think about, you know, sitting with your girlfriend at, at the dinner table. Nobody had to tell me to do that. I mean, if the rules allowed it, I was doing it. That's probably why they had rules. That's probably why they had rules, is because they knew I wouldn't get any schoolwork done. I'd have flunked all my classes. Because I was in love. And I wanted to spend every moment I could with her. I mean, I was interested in, in you know, just, I wanted to know her favorite food and her, her, her favorite color. And uh, I wanted to know all about her family pets and, and all about... I just wanted to know everything I could know. I was, I just wanted all the time I could with her. I was in love. You know, they have a, they've done research, and if you have an hour meal at a restaurant, they say couples that are dating talk 50 minutes out of the hour. I guess the other 10 minutes is for eating, drinking, and breathing. As soon as you get married, and these are averages, I'm not accusing anybody here, but as soon as you get married, it drops to 40 minutes. Apparently, you decide you're a little more hungry than what you were when you were dating. I, I don't know what happened. Must be something in the wedding cake. After 20 years of marriage, in your hour-long meal together, the average time of talking is now down to 21 minutes. 
This isn't good. 30 years of marriage, they're down to 16 minutes. And after 50, anybody been married 50 years? I want you to look at all these people. They average three minutes of conversation at an hour-long dinner table. <laughs> three minutes. I think their conversation goes like this. Are you breathing? Yeah. <laughs> what am I talking about? I'm talking about that when, when we get to the place where the honeymoon's over, the time, the quality time that we spend together begins to lessen and lessen and lessen if we're not careful. If we're not careful. I wonder how it is with our romance with our Lord this evening. I wonder how how long it's been since you spent an hour in the secret place. Now you're meddling, preacher. I know I'm meddling. You know, we go to church. We sing the words, but they don't mean anything to us anymore. The preacher preaches and you think the preacher can't tell that you're on your cell phone. I don't know why you think that. People don't normally look down at their lap and smile. I get that ESPN is giving you the live scores and all that, but or Facebook and your picture of your grandkid, but it will wait till after the sermon. Wow, I'm meddling tonight, aren't I? We can't spend one hour in church without our cell phone being checked. Because we'd rather spend time with someone or something other than our Lord. It's an indication, it's an indication, folks, that we're falling out of love. We dress the part, we look the part. We got the standards down, brother. We got everything that we're supposed to do. We, we look good. We, 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 we have it all down. But Amen. Who wants to spend time with God when you've, got, when you've got a cell phone that'll give you something much more entertaining? Oh, that God would help us. You know, Brother Seth, when I was dating my wife, nobody had to guilt me into reading her love letters to me. No one did. No one said, you know, you ought to read your wife's lo- girlfriend at the time. You ought to read her love letters that she's written you. I want you to know what would happen. When I got a love letter, I ripped that envelope open and I read every single word. And then I read it again. And sometimes if there were some really good parts, I read it a third time. And no, I'm not telling you what the good parts were. If you don't know, go get your own love letters back. 
When's the last time you've tore open the Bible? You've read that part. You go, oh, that's a good juicy part. I want to read that again. You know, I'm going to read that a third time. This is the love letter of my Lord to me, and, and that's a real good juicy part. I want to read that a third time. You know what? You know, I, I, I'm really enjoying this. I think this is something I need. I'm going to memorize this. Wow, it's gotten quiet. We don't memorize anymore. That's for young people, not for us old people. Have we fallen out of love? We spend less and less time with the people we're falling out of love with. You know another indication that you're falling out of love with your spouse is that you put your own happiness first. It's about your happiness. You know, there's a, there's a, a, a misconception, there's a belief out there the, that the opposite of love is hate. I want you to know it's not. The opposite of love is selfishness. I found this out when I got the joy of having a baby in the home. And come 2 a.m., when I am blissfully unaware of all my surroundings... And meditating on the deep things. And out of the silence and the darkness, a piercing wail is heard. And you parents know what I'm talking about. There is nothing more terrible than a crying child in the middle of the night. I, I think God's purposely designed their perfectly tuned vocal cords to the right frequency to grate on our nerves the most so that we would not ignore them. And so I'm laying there and I hear this squeal and cry and, and plead for who knows what, a diaper change, a, 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 a bottle, a, some, some kind of, of need to be had. And I have a choice in that moment. My first choice is that I could pretend to still be asleep. I'll let my wife deal with this. Eventually, that squawking child will arouse his mother. And she will go get him. That's my first choice. It's not a choice between love and hate. It's a choice between love and selfishness. My second choice, while laying there, I could shake her and say, go get your kid. <laughs> Notice I said, your kid. At 2 a.m., it's always her kid. It's not a choice between love and hate. It's a choice between love and selfishness. Or I could choose love and get out of bed, trip over toys, step on a Lego, finally get into that nursery and pick up that screaming bundle of joy and try to meet 
the child's needs. Choice between love and selfishness. Whose happiness is most important to you? Is it yours or is it his? You know, I hear over and over in counseling and other places, I just want to be happy. That's the problem. As long as you seek for happiness, you won't find it. The rock and roll superstars have fans adoring them. How many of them are killing themselves on drugs and alcohol? They've got all the money, they've got all the fame, they've got all the fortune, they've got everything that the world says you ought to have in order to be happy, and they're still not happy. How many movie stars commit suicide? And they have all everything the world says you need to be happy. As long as you seek for happiness, you won't find it. And yet, how often do we put our own happiness first? I'll be honest with you, I get uh, real nervous. I hear a lot of preachers that talk about when you serve God, he'll make you happy. Folks, God is more concerned with your holiness than he is with your happiness. And he'll make things difficult, and he'll make things uncomfortable, and he will make you go through the fire and the flame and through the flood in order to bring about your holiness. He will sacrifice your happiness every single time if it means your holiness. But we want to be happy. Just want to be happy, preacher. Just want to be happy. You know, when I fell in love with my wife, it was all about her happiness. You know, I did some really insane things. Like I opened the door for her. I brought her flowers. I brought her candy. Don't tell anybody this, but I even wrote some poetry for her. Do you know why? Because I was concerned. I was intensely concerned with her happiness. Do you know what? She did some things too. You know, she, I'd say, you know, I really like that particular hairstyle. And you know what? She'd wear it. Or you know, she'd make a, a meal that I just really enjoyed. And I'd let her know, wow, this is really good. Guys, don't lie to her when say it's good if it's bad, because you'll get it a lot. <laughs> some helpful for you young people back there. She was concerned with my happiness, and I was concerned with her happiness. And you know what? That's the secret. But you know what happens after a little bit of marriage? Your hobbies start getting in the way. Do you know what the number one killer of marriages is? Marital happiness. Number one killer of marital happiness. A baby. A baby. 
You bring that home, that bundle of joy, that squawks at 2 a.m. for some reason. And you go off to work, and you come home, and she's busy taking care of the baby and taking care of the house and taking care of these responsibilities and time that she had for you. She no longer has for you. She has to take care of the baby. Researchers are discovering that postpartum depression for husbands is a real thing. And some of you ladies might think that's funny, but it's a hard thing to be ignored by the one you love. But I'm so busy. I've got so, so many responsibilities. I've got three kids now. I've got, I, we, the, the house is always a mess. It's, we've got responsibilities at the church. We've got this responsibility. We've got that responsibility. We've got, and we're so frazzled with all the things that we have to do. We don't have time for each other. And we don't make time for each other. And we're not concerned with their happiness we're concerned about getting all the things done that we have to get done. And you look at each other one day and you wonder why you fell out of love. Because you both got so busy, you stopped being concerned about the other one's happiness. And now all the focus is about your happiness, about getting your chores done and getting your responsibilities met making sure the bills are paid and all this and it just snowballs out of control. Folks, we do this spiritually. We've got jobs and we've got family responsibilities and we've got this, we've got church responsibilities and we've got all these things that are on us to do, do, do. And guess what's happening? We stop being concerned with the happiness of our Lord. You know what frightens me? One of those mega church pastors got up in front of their congregation and they said, when you worship, you're not really doing it for the Lord. You're doing it for yourself. You get to feel good. You get the blessing. And it would bother me a whole lot less if that was true about her church but I'm afraid it's true about our churches. We appreciate it as a good song. It was, it was wonderful. It made me feel good. And I'm not taking anything from their song. Thank God for their spirit. Appreciated that good song. But folks, it's not about me feeling good. And whether I feel good in the service, whether I feel or sense God's presence in the service or not, all that matters is did he receive glory and honor and praise from it? There's, I think there's some dead churches, dirt, dead services where God got more glory than anybody in the service got and people missed out on it because they were too focused on how they were feeling. Well, I'm meddling again. And I'm afraid there have been times when, the, when we thought we were experiencing the glory when really all we were experiencing was a feel-good dose of adrenaline. And God didn't get anything out of it. And we left there saying it was a good service. 
because we felt good. No, I'm meddling. I know it tonight, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but, but folks, who are you more interested in seeing happy, yourself or Jesus? That's the question of whether you're in love with him or not. You know, when, when you hear these young guys that are unmarried, and they'll say, you know, I'll, I'll walk on a bed of glass for you. I'll, in fact, I'll crawl over it. I'll swim across the ocean for you. I'll do anything for you. She says, would you come over? She says, oh, I'm sorry, it's raining today. I can't make it. I'm afraid that's how we are spiritually, folks. We'll do anything for the Lord. Oh, the storms, oh, the battles. We'll, God, we'll stick by God. We, we, we're not thinking of turning around. And then the s- smallest bad thing happens. Oh, God, why are me? Why me? Why not you? And why not me? Are we, you know, we can't even preach on glorying and the fellowships of his sufferings anymore. Can we? we can, when's the last time you heard a sermon on that? Count it all joy. We fall into diverse temptations. Can't preach on that anymore. We're not interested in, in suffering. We're not interested in going through hardships. We're not interested in, in, in facing any sort of, of persecution or difficulty for our faith. I mean, oh, I mean to have to even to have people talk bad about us is about more than we can take. I'm not trying to be hard tonight. I'm not trying to be hard. I'm preaching at myself too. A little bit of car trouble, and, and man, you wonder if God's forsaken you. You wonder if God even sees what you're going through. Some of you are facing some hard things right now. Some of you are facing some hard diagnosis from the doctor. Some of you are facing some hard situations in your family. Some of you are really hurting right now. And folks, I'm not trying to be cruel or insensitive to your suffering. What I'm trying to help us to understand is that you, if you're truly in love with him, are willing to put aside that in order to make him happy. We've got a selfish faith. We've got a selfish faith where we expect God to serve us rather than us serve Him. I'm afraid we've turned God into Santa Claus. If we're good, He'll give us presents. If we behave, He'll bless us. If we do right, He'll give us what we want. And when He doesn't operate that way, we throw a fit and quit believing. He's not Santa. He's not Santa. And he's not Grandpa. We're asking a question. Are you still madly in love with Jesus tonight? Or do you care more about your happiness than his? 
It's a hard question, isn't it? It kind of goes along with the third sign that you might have be falling out of love. In fact, not just might it, you are. It's when you don't have trust for one another. Some time ago, I was working at a counseling agency, a Christian agency, and in come this couple. They wanted to see me for some counseling, and so they, they came in, and they began to tell their story. And, you know, they had trust issues because they both had had affairs. You know, that you kind of would expect that there would be some trust problems. And she said, hey, wait, but, wait, but mine wasn't an affair. We were separated when I had my affair. When you begin to not trust in each other, and you've got to know where, right where they are at all times. And jealousy creeps in. Maybe they've been unfaithful. Maybe they've acted in ways that they ought not to have behaved. Or maybe it is that you're being tempted to act in ways that you ought not to behave. Or maybe you have. And now trust is being broken in your marriage. We have an issue in our day because the vast majority of us are walking around with a computer in our pocket that we can view anything we want with just a few clicks of a button. And it's creating trust issues. Folks, I don't I don't mean to meddle. I don't mean to meddle. But if we can't trust our mate and they can't trust us, our love for each other is in serious jeopardy. The question is, is do you trust Jesus? You know, I'd like to believe that in our circles we trust him greatly. We have healing services and we still anoint with oil and, and we talk about faith. I'd love to believe that we do. But you know, I have to be honest with you, the evidence just isn't there. Because well, you know what I hear a lot of? I don't know. It's just terrible, all the things that are going on. I, 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 the Lord's going to have to come back real soon. And we're wringing our hands like God has left his throne or something. Let's hold on till Jesus comes. We're getting smaller and smaller. There'd be a great falling away. But oh, I, 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 don't, I don't know how much longer the church can take it. Take what? Your lack of faith? In fact, isn't it what Jesus said? That when he returned, he wondered if there, he would find any faith in the earth? Isn't that what he asked? It's getting worse and worse, preacher. Yeah, it's getting pretty bad. I don't know. I don't know if... I don't know what the Lord's going to do. I don't know what he can do. Folks, I want you to know we serve the same God that helped the children of Israel leave Egypt. And we serve the same God that was with Daniel and his friends as they were carted off into slavery and captivity in Babylon. 
None of us have been carted off to slavery that I'm aware of. None of us have, have had to go through what they have went through. None of us have literally had to stand in the flames for our faith. And yet we don't know if God can handle today's problems. Didn't he say he'd build his church? I wonder if sometimes our churches aren't growing because they're not his. Oh, I'm meddling again, Brother Shaper. I'm sorry. They're ours. They're our churches for our pleasure and for our, uh, our uh, you know, uh, feeling good about ourselves because we're taking the old-fashioned way. We're just like the church at Ephesus. We're doing everything right. We've stood against the wrong. We don't have any faith left, but, you know, we're going to hold out till Jesus comes in this bunker. Oh, that God would give us such a, a faith that's on fire for God that our children and our young people would say, I want what they have. Our young people don't want our standards. Our young people don't want our rules and our regulations. They want our love and they want to see our passion for Jesus. And you can boo-hoo and, and poo-hoo and, and fuss all you want about young people not interested in taking the old-fashioned way. Give them something to want to follow. I'm not interested in having standards just to be weird. I do what I do because I believe it makes God happy. I believe it's what God asked me to do. I believe it's what God wants me to do. I don't do it because someone says I have to. I don't do it because someone's threatening me. I do it because I love him. And folks, if you don't are doing this for any other reason, just to look good or follow the rules or whatever it is, but not because you love him, it's no wonder your children don't want this. I don't want that. I don't need another mask to put on. I don't need another set of rules and regulations to live by. Jesus said that his law would be written on our hearts. It would be written so deep because we are love him. My children aren't raised. But I hope and I pray that they see that their dad isn't just living out this thing so that he can look good or be popular with a certain group of people or pat himself on the back at, at the day of judgment, but that I'm doing it because I am madly and intensely in love with my Savior who gave himself for me. And if they'll fall so in love with Jesus like, like I've fallen in love with him, that I believe they'll take the old-fashioned way too. I really believe that. But the question for us tonight is, have we fallen out of love with Jesus? Our musicians are coming I'm inviting you to stand with me.
I want you to be honest with yourself. Do you love him like you used to love him? I really wish some older saints would come first. Come to this altar and say, I really need to fall back in love with Jesus. I wish some of our older saints would set the tone. I'm afraid we've put too much on our young people expecting them to be the first to the altar when really it should be our older ones that say, you know what, I've grown a little lax. My devotions have become duty rather than an opportunity to love him. I wonder what would your children say? I wonder what your children would say. Mom and dad really love Jesus. Or would they say, you know, it's just a show. They're more concerned with impressing people than they are. They're more impressed with what impress people than they are about serving God. People are coming. Are you coming? Are you coming? Do we love him because he first loved us? Or are we more concerned with putting on the show? He said if you don't repent, if you don't go back and and repent, he said he's going to take your candlestick out of it. We've not backslidden yet. We've not given it up. We've not given up what God's given us. but, But we still have fallen out of love. It's about doing It's about routine, it's about responsibility, but it's not about serving Jesus, it's not about love. Oh, that God would give us a revival of true love for our Savior. There's still room. Young people, are you coming? Are you coming? Are you in love with Jesus? Oh, that God would give us a revival of love for Jesus. Come on quickly. Come quickly.